Good morning. I invite you to open your Bibles and find the New Testament book of Titus. We're going to be in chapter 2 and beginning at verse 1. The uh, text is entirely on page 998 in your pew Bibles. This is the third in a uh, series of messages entitled Plant Church, Repeat. And if you are in fact able... I would ask you to join me in standing in honor of the God who has given us these scriptures. Hear God's word as he speaks through Paul to the younger Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, it's because of your loving and powerful plan that we have been engrafted into your family. Now by your Spirit, would you give us eyes to hear and ears, uh, eyes to see and ears to hear, The message of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom to know is life eternal. Grant us this, we pray, because we want to be children who follow our Father and bear our family resemblance. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. H-O-M-E. Home. Take a moment. And just now, were you thinking of a place, certain people, or maybe an emotion? I suppose given enough time, you might have envisioned all three of those. I sincerely hope that, uh, like me, you had a positive and pleasant response to the notion of home. That is not the case for everyone. And my heart breaks and goes out to those, perhaps you, if home is not a happy place for you. In part one of the series, we were introduced to the mentor, the minister, and the gospel mission that was to be engaged on the island of Crete all those years ago. In part two, we learned of God's qualifications uh, 
for leadership in his church. And we learned of the dire, dying culture that was persistent in Crete at the time. And today, in part three, at home with Jesus, we look into the lives of Christian individuals living in community. These first 10 verses of this chapter really provide a character-based guide for life in Christ, in all stages of life, and in relation to others. Let's enter into this true story and consider the, the mind and the heart and the will of our Lord pertaining to his earthly church. I think we find God's holy people, their holy calling, and one holy purpose. God's holy people, their holy calling, and one holy purpose. First of all, people and a place. The island of Crete is situated in a portion, the southern portion of the Aegean Sea, which is itself part of the more vast Mediterranean Sea. Crete is not the largest ocean in that, or, uh, island in the body of water there, but it is the largest of the Greek islands, and it has had a very diverse population for many, many centuries, primarily because of early and then later seafarers who were plying those waters and found one of the many safe harbors on Crete and decided perhaps to stay and make it home. Apparently the church of Jesus on Crete reflected that very dynamic, that diversity as a, a Roman colony in the time of Paul's writing to Titus. The congregations at that time, not surprisingly, consisted of Titus, the, the bishop, the overseer, the one who was tasked with the the hard job of organizing what had been left and appointing elders. And not surprisingly, it was made up all the congregations of older women and men, younger women and men, children, and slaves. More on that in a few moments. And we just read of them. Starting with Titus, the, the fruit of Christianity really blossomed under his leadership. Titus really put himself into the work, and he was the right man for the job at the right time. And at the very outset of our text today, Paul informed his protege that his entire ministry on Crete, everything he would do in the coming days, that is his preaching, his teaching, his outreaching, all had to be done accord with the sound doctrine that had already been made known to him. Well, what was that? Oh, you're not surprised. It's the gospel of Christ, which is the only message necessary and the only message capable of transforming lives and of providing for maturity of faith and an excellence of lifestyle. It's highly likely. I would like very much to be able to say it's absolutely certain, but I will... Leave it as highly likely that Paul himself led Titus to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and then was able to disciple him face to face. Oh, I, I think it can be said with great confidence that uh, Pastor Titus knew the gospel. He knew the sound doctrine of God and he was a follower without question. Now imagine yourself in his place being tutored in the scriptures 
face to face by the Apostle Paul in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he, he knew the gospel deeply, and he knew it fully all right. And he was able to communicate that, that timeless truth to others in his, his words and his deeds, and that was why Paul commissioned him to set things in order on the island among those new congregations that were spread all across its surface. And also, likewise, to engage the lost and needy sinners of Crete. Verse 7 summarizes those two aspects of his pastoral witness, model and teach. It says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. Titus was tasked with putting feet to his own faith by living openly in community with others and doing the deeds that were Good and which drew attention to Jesus and not so much to him. He also was the primary instructor in such things for all of the congregations and the communities around them. And as such, that meant he needed to know the information in order to be able to teach it. I mean, every teacher must first be a learner. Is that right? Surely. Like, I'm not qualified to teach anyone how to practice dentistry. I'll leave that to Dr. Rudy. I'm not qualified to teach anybody how to hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. And I can't teach anybody how to pilot an F-16 fighter jet because I have never learned those skills myself. Two of them I wish I had. But I couldn't teach something I don't know. I can't give away something I don't possess. And as an instructor, Titus had to learn from the best. Paul himself, and he did. And he accepted the vocational call to be the one who would oversee and shepherd the churches there. Now his was a, a unique position, of course, being both overseer and shepherd. He, he was the only one that filled that bill. He was commissioned personally by Paul to do that work at God's behest. But he also had widespread flocks across the island that were comprised of people who followed Jesus and they were all taught to aspire to Christ-likeness. That was a substance of a lot of his teaching. Not unlike today. What, what did that mean to the women and the men and the children under his care? What, what message did they receive on how to live their private and their public lives. That's their holy calling. I can say actually that characterizing Paul's message to the Christian converts on Crete centuries ago is really a simple thing for me to do today, frankly. It's very simple. And I think, although it may not have been easy, it was simple for our friend Titus too all those years ago. You ready for the truth bomb? Everything you used to do, say, and believe be the opposite. Simple. And in fewer than a dozen words, I have just expressed the call, the challenge that was extended to an entire culture to stop and to create an entirely new legacy based in faith, based in Christ. 
to turn that way, maybe for you fans of a certain 1990s sitcom, this could be likened to doing a Costanza. Whatever you used to think was right, do the exact opposite. And a lot of them did. And it was a timely message. This guidance that came was absolutely necessary because their culture was in the throes of destruction. They were being consumed by themselves and by their own vices. Oh, it was a timely message. And you'll recall, like last week, the curtain was pulled back a little bit and the scripture revealed to us who these people really were. The culture at large in Crete was evil, lazy liars, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That pretty much sums up the Bible's honest assessment. Ouch. Yeah, they were needy. And now, Christian, older women and men, younger women and men, children and slaves were being called to live differently, completely differently, to forsake their former lifestyles, walk away and walk towards something new. How? Well, how indeed. Listen again to the imperatives, those commands that are embedded in the scripture, part of it that we read a little while ago. Be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Be reverent, self-controlled, pure, kind, and loving. Show integrity and dignity. Be submissive to authorities, showing all good faith. The bees here, the commands here, are to have certain attitudes and make certain character choices so that you can be the person Christ wants you to be in the midst of that culture. It's often said we are human beings, not human doings. We, we get so much of our affirmation from what we do, but we essentially are human beings. Guess what? Spiritually, it's no different. Some people think that we are, are physical beings on a brief spiritual journey. Costanza that. We are spiritual beings on a brief physical journey. Aren't we? We're going to live forever. Somewhere. The challenge for that culture was to let people know where eternity could be spent because of the grace and mercy of Christ. Be someone. Have the character. And I'm going to proceed with some confidence that you don't really want me to elaborate now with a lot of dictionary definitions of all the terms I just read. Yeah, me either. I think it might be more helpful if I give you a brief overview of what slavery looked like in the late Roman Empire. According to reliable sources, well, they say they're reliable themselves, it's accurate to portray that the culture, the population of the empire was predominantly slave. Now that sounds alien to our, our 21st century ears. It's just so different from what we experienced. But in the first century, that was normal in the empire. Very few citizens were born free and truly Roman. Most were members of tribes and nations that had been conquered and assimilated into the empire. Yes, they had some rights and privileges, but not full citizenship. Sources say that many, if not most, of the people who worked in trades and even the professions were slaves. 
One account I read said that perhaps 95% of the physicians were indentured servants. Now, I know some doctors today would say the same thing because they're burdened with student loan debt. But it's entirely different than that. In the day, back in the Roman Empire, at this time, indentured servants, slaves, were actually engrafted into the family. They were members of the family. They were treated with kindness. This institution was so very different then than what it morphed into in the centuries to follow when the most horrible inhumanities were perpetrated against whole cultures, predominantly black Africans. Oh, we, we do well to weep and to repent of those former sins. They must never be repeated, ever. All that to indicate that slaves in the, on Crete 2,000 years ago were able to hear the gospel and be converted and live their lives publicly as followers of Jesus, just like the rest of the culture, because most of them were slaves. They had freedom of conscience to believe what they chose to believe. And the gospel at that time reached the high and the low. Not unlike now. It reached entire families and households, transforming homes. I have a sincere question. Why has God called everyone, regardless of class and gender, age and ethnicity, to live virtuously as is described in our passage? Why? Is it possible that it's for the planting and the replanting of his church? Yes. Everywhere, every week. That's one holy purpose. Verses 5, 8, and 10 will agree, because they say, so that, here's our purpose, the word of God may not be reviled, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's the gospel. Christ-likeness is commanded in every generation of believers for the sake of, hear this, worship. That's why everything in creation exists. Everything in eternity exists. That's why we are saved. It isn't primarily that we will have eternal life and dance in paradise with our Savior. That will happen, I don't know about the dancing part, but we will be with him. The primary reason anyone is saved ever is to worship the one true God of heaven and earth and eternity. That's why we are saved. The purpose of our sanctification while here, however, is to do exactly that, what it says. To, to honor God's word, to honor his and our reputations and his timeless truth. These ends are the motivation for the whole purpose statement that we find here. And even today, King Jesus is inviting each of us who are unworthy in and of ourselves to the same high calling that he has in every generation prior. Graciously, we now are equipped for doing everything good according to his will. His spirit is working in us to do everything that is pleasing in his sight. 
And our Father has empowered us. He has equipped us because he has redeemed us. He has called us home. And home is to be that one environment where we are most at ease with the people that we care about. It's a space which creates a a sense of comfort and of rest. The primary place where we really are free to be real, to be ourselves. At home, we need not pose as if we need to be somebody else for someone else to see us, because home is our safe place. It's a place where we are refreshed and at ease. It's our place. Are you truly at home with Jesus? Is your special place his place too? Or is he an occasional guest that you scurry about before his arrival just to clean up a bit? I'll be honest with yourself. How about your children? How about the people you've directly influenced? How are their households? Is Jesus king there? Is he guest or family? The Bible supports the notion that home is not just limited, however, to a place. It's more than that. It's not just where we reside. It extends also to be an expression of our, of our inner wellness, of, of our sense of peace. It's like, it's like saying, okay, I'm, I'm okay with my station and my situation in life. By God's grace, I can say today, I'm at home with Jesus. Because I live in his house. And he promises that I always will. Always. Almost nothing about our home life, by the way, invites others to experience what true welcome is than meal times. Wouldn't you agree? They're so special. That's when hearts and bellies are filled with, well, with the necessary conversation and casual attitude. And likewise, during some mealtimes, Jesus revealed to his disciples some of the most very important things about earthly life and eternal life that he ever spoke. Wasn't it, in fact, actually at that Passover meal that he instituted the sacrament we will partake of in mere moments? It is. And he welcomed all of us to his table and always will because as the perfect sacrifice, he dealt with our two human problems of sin and death. They're universal. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, the same author as the letter to Titus, tells that church in Corinth, another needy place in the midst of a a decaying culture, said, for I delivered to you as of first importance, the primary goal, the motive for everything, first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Our blood-stained invitation to commune with our creator is received by trusting in him alone to have fulfilled the prophecies that were spoken of him. He bids us to come to be reborn 
to be adopted, to be made family, to be welcomed home. Pray with me in thankful prayer as we prepare to gather around the table of our King. You are King Jesus, and by your spirit at the will of your Father, you have raised dead people to life. When you took our sin on the cross, you eradicated the charges against us eternally. When you rose from that borrowed tomb and were victorious over death, you proved you could convey that victory to us. And so we are called more than conquerors because you experienced it for us. Thank you for creating family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are perfectly attuned and have been through eternity past and will be through eternity future. And for this season, for this temporal time, You've allowed us to know something of what it is to be intimately related to others in family, to be related by love and service, and to know what it is to be forgiven. That forgiveness comes at the great cost of your own blood being shed and your life being laid down as a perfect sacrifice. My heart's prayer, your will, Father, Your purchase, O Jesus, your communication of the benefits, Holy Spirit, is that some would now, even right this minute, humble themselves and pray and seek your face. Something as simple as, oh God, forgive me, a sinner. There'll be no magic, but a great deal of mystery involved in those words. But a biblical mystery isn't something we can't know, Father. It's just something we can't know until you reveal it to us. And you have revealed to us the mystery that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. May many, many today take their rest in a home, take their courage from others who have gone before, and take their faith from the message of forgiveness of sin and completeness of life that comes only through Jesus. We wish to honor you, to worship you, in spirit and truth, now. And so help us, Father, to do that very thing. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.